0: And welcome to New Books in Literary Studies on the New Books Network. I'm your co host, Annette Joseph Gabriel. Today, I have with me Stefan Robelin to talk about his book, Grounds of Engagement Apartheid Era African American and South African Writing. Stefan is an associate professor of English at Rutgers University, where he's the director of the Center for African Studies. He also teaches courses in African literature. African Diaspora Studies, and Postcolonial Literature and Theory. Stefan, thank you for joining us today.
1: thank you, Annette, for the invitation. It's a real pleasure to talk with you.
0: I'm really excited to have you on. Um, So in your book, you examine the exchanges between South African and African American writers in the 20th century. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came to this project?
1: Yeah, well, so it has a very, uh, a very long trajectory, which is to say that it was, it was born in my undergraduate studies. Um, uh, as an undergraduate in college, I quickly gravitated towards African-American literature, um, but later in my studies, began to read um, and look at African literature. And so when I had uh, a chance to write my honors thesis, I took the opportunity to plunge into South African literature. Which actually tied back prior to my studies, because I was sort of growing up in the apartheid, uh, the anti-apartheid era of the 1980s, had a sort of a political interest uh, in, in South Africa. Yeah, so that's my undergraduate studies. Uh, when I went into graduate school, um, I had the idea that I'd place African and African American literature in conversation. Uh, With each other and the dissertation that I eventually wrote was ultimately a a sort of a standard Comparative project, so, you know, I paired african-american and black south african texts alongside each other And I read them sort of parsing out how they they echoed one another and the tensions that emerged between them Uh, By the end of the dissertation, however um I grew slightly disenchanted with, with its form. It felt, it felt rather mechanical. And so um, while I found the work valuable, um, I was also a bit restless. Um, so when it came uh, to turning the dissertation into a book, I really undertook a, a radical revision. Um, and that, that started with a, 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 the methodological questions that drove and, and, and governed my research Um, so the dissertation posed the, the straight comparative question, um, which was, um, you know, what are the similarities that we can find across black South African and African American texts? And, and, you know, what do they tell us about the nature of resistance among other things? Um, but for the book, um, I wanted to dig underneath that question. Um, and to really ask what kinds of exchanges took place that facilitated the transatlantic echoes that I was examining in the dissertation uh, in the first place, so um, I began um, I began to zero in instead on the what what I've been calling cultural infrastructure, the exchanges, um, the actual relationships between writers, their conversations are mostly um, in that period. Um, their letters, um, essentially the cultural traffic of books, but also of writers themselves, who, under you know, frequently uh, very challenging circumstances, moved transnationally. Um, so, really, it shifted. It shifted from a classically comparative project to a much more uh, relational project. Um, mm. So, so that's that's the first sort of um, major sort of. Uh, alteration that I made um, in, in the in the project um, but there was a second um, methodological shift that also took place and that's that's one that um, um, that we can think about as a kind of an anti diffusionist approach um, so um, by that I mean sort of Um, working against the tendency in uh, in literary and cultural studies um, that takes a look at transnational relationships, but too frequently in a one-sided way. Mm -hmm. So what happened too often, American literary production is imagined as the kind of the central source of innovative work Mm -hmm. and creativity, Um, and then whose influence then sort of diffuses out into the rest of the world. And the rest of the world, that gratefully accepts it, or revises it, or refashions that kind of originary work. Um, but this is, you know, essentially a, a, a one, uh, you know, a one-way street. Um, and there's a there's a, a series of problems with that kind of uh, approach. As valuable as exploring that direction is. Um, there hasn't been sufficient attention to the way that Black South African literature and culture, for example, have formed and shaped African American literature and literary production. Um, so, the one thing that I insist on uh, in this uh, in this book is is um, is tracing the lines of influence in both directions.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, that's part of the kind of excavation that I'm that I'm interested in. So, just to give you just to give you an example. Um, you know, um, Black Boy uh, by Richard Wright, uh, his autobiography um, made a huge impact on the black world, um, uh, clearly within the United States, but also well outside of the United States. So, um, that book's, um, and, and even his short stories, uh, impact on South African writers was, was, uh, was considerable. So Peter Abraham's uh, Eskia and Pashlele, Kera Petsiko Sitzile, all of these are uh, black South African writers who um, talk about this sort of tra- their transformative encounters with, uh, with, with Wright's work. Um, but what is less figured into the equation are the ways that interactions with uh, South African writers and activists uh, um, uh, sort of change the way that um, uh, African-American literature took shape. Um, so, you know, you've got, you've got sort of interactions with, with, uh, with activists and writers that, that, uh, that led to Audre Lorde's uh, work on South Africa, including her essay Apartheid USA and, mm-hmm. and some of her own poetry, um, poetry of Cheryl Clark and Michelle Cliff also very much uh, bear the imprint of, of, um, uh, of South Africa in their work. Um, even Gwendolyn Brooks, who actually mentored um, uh, Willie um, uh would begin to write about South Africa herself in poems like The Near Johannesburg Boy or, um, or Music for Martyrs and um, and uh, her long poem, Winnie. And that comes out as a result of, of that friendship. So I'm really looking at, um, you know, at, at, uh, at, at a at much more two
0: way street. It's really fascinating um, to to hear I guess just the, the movement, um, the, the your own trajectory in and how you move from The questions that you're asking, um, you know, through, through undergrad, through the dissertation, through the manuscript, and the directions, the new directions that these questions start to take, um, and how that seems to be paralleled in certain kinds of ways by the movement that you're, you're thinking about in the book itself, or how you're asking us to rethink movement, right? That's not the sort of one way street, um, but rather the sort of multi directional exchange that's happening. And I'm really fascinated by the, the way that you, you talk about movement because I found that the Title: grounds of engagement, really compelling. Um, And I also found the cover image, right? So I'm looking at the book right now, and and it's this picture of of an open field and sky. And I find find those two elements really interesting because they both speak to the spatial analysis that you undertake in your work. Um, In particular, you assert that, and I'm quoting from your work here, quote, geography is central to the process of Black transnational relation, unquote. So I guess my question is, how does paying attention to space and the geographies imagined by these writers help us to better understand, right, the, the kind of apartheid politics, that, the contestation um, of power and possi- and the possibilities of belonging in apartheid South Africa and the United States in the period that you're looking at,
1: yeah yeah no thanks um thanks for that um, um, there's a there's a you know um, movement really is is quite uh, is quite key quite essential to the way i'm I'm thinking um, it partic- you know i I'm a very sort of visual person um, mm-hmm. um, uh, I process things quite visually and so I'm you know for this entire project I was just Sort of imagining, um, uh, imagining, um, you know, sort of little dots moving across the map, um, back and forth, um, on a regular basis, and so. Um, um, but 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 space is, is what is uh, is what is key here. So let, let me let me just zero in on, on your question about the uh, about the title itself because um like the uh like the image um it, it 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 carries a fair amount of meaning the grounds of engagement as a title is is a pun or really it's a it's a double entendre um so in the first instance um what i mean to evoke um in in the title is a question of uh, how and why we understand south african and african american relationships um, or, or relation itself,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, on what conceptual or methodological grounds, in other words, on what rationale do we rest our comparison between two black communities or, or their two countries, right? So there's a, uh, there's a reason for this, because um, um, so often comparisons, particular in popular culture, are grounded in um, notions of family or essentialist notions of race, um, notions that um, that don't always account for the considerable differences between the black communities, mm-hmm. um, uh, when in fact uh, there are considerable differences. Um, for example, in language um, uh, and in in racial classification, mm-hmm. um, different um, uh, different histories produce both of those, right? Um, But of course, uh, what I mean to invoke is that uh, over and above these differences, um, uh, there have been writers who have uh, writers and thinkers uh, and artists who have uh, fashioned um, and made visible um, the similarities between those communities, again, over and above those differences. Um, This is all the more um, significant because uh, I'm tracking a cultural relationship that doesn't um, adhere to the classical diaspora model, Mm -hmm. uh, if that makes sense. So whereas African-Americans can claim some kind of cultural and genetic tie back to West Africa and Central Africa due to the horrors of the transatlantic um, slave trade. The relationship between Black America and Black South Africa is um, is of a different is a different uh, kind, if you will, in the sense that it's uh, a more political and an ideological relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's so that's the you know sort of the the grounds the rationale for thinking about the relationship between um, these two communities. Um, But I said it was a double entendre. So the second evocation of grounds of engagement uh, is, as you say, focused on geography, on on questions of physical space and and on uh, on spatial relationships. Mm. Um, So um, not only um, do these two communities share histories of entrenched racism, um, but these are histories of segregation. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, fueled by globally connected regimes of white supremacy. Um, and there, uh, racism played out by way of spatial demarcation and separation of people according to racial categories, right? So these are materially entrenched histories of segregation and, and they're interconnected as well. Um, there were ways that, um, um, uh, South Africa uh, the South African uh, uh, regime, apartheid regime, uh, studied the ways that um, segregation operated uh, in the American South um, and uh, implemented portions uh, of, of, of those tactics. So, so they're they're interconnected. But that kind of material entrenchment of segregation uh, has had a, a profound impact. Um, it's still being felt today. I, you know, mm-hmm. we 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 only need to see the ways. Um, that um, uh, the legacy of of um, of uh, residential segregation plays out in a quote unquote integrated educational system. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so uh, so it's profound uh, uh, to our uh, and 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 leads to our current moment. Um, but it's also profound in the ways that that, that spatial arrangement and and. Black and and racial separation and estrangement impinge in fundamental in fundamental ways on our imaginations, on um, uh, on how people begin to think about their place in the world, what spaces they can't or can uh, uh, can access,
2: mm-hmm.
1: what racial rules govern behavior in a particular space, um, how they can move, uh, how they can move through segregated worlds. Um, and it begins to shape people's consciousness about, um, who they are and how it pervades the way that people express themselves. And what I'm, what I'm really charting is the ways that, um, that, that, that black literature expresses, uh, and black writers express that, Spatial consciousness, if you will. Mm. Uh, so, so you know, w- one of the arguments in my book is 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 um, is that that represent representations of, of, of racialized space in literature um, is is a way, a medium through which black writers began to relate to one another uh, and to one another's experiences. So, you know, uh, they could read in a given text. Um, uh, will will go with black boy again. Um, uh, the, the they could read in the the sort of the description of the physical and of the social space um, in in sort of Richard Wright's South um, the the racist division of space and then begin to judge their proximity to it mm-hmm. right uh, not in terms of physical proximity but in terms of the experiential Uh proximity how many times you know um they as readers in this case uh, as readers uh encountered the same spatial problem um uh because of how racist law and custom in south africa and the u.s organized black life right Uh um now there's a um uh, a physical geography um we see this um you know uh uh, oftentimes in autobiographies, um, as people are sort of charting the ways that they uh, came to consciousness growing up and realized questions of race, questions of inequality. Um, um, and, um, but there's also a, a more metaphorical um, imagined geography that I'm interested in exploring. Um, and that is not just charting, but sort of reconfiguring. Uh-huh. Um uh, the lay of the land, if you will, right um, um, so many black writers also work to um, uh, imaginatively reorganize segregated space and, and, and really to rethink and reimagine different forms and different boundaries of community um, and sometimes that would that would uh, that would expand outwards to a, a transnational community. Uh-huh. And I found this most clearly expressed in, in the poetry of um, of of uh, um, of, Kosice, of 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 Michelle Cliff, of Gwendolyn Brooks. Um, um, but uh, you know, at the same, I, I should I should also point out that the um, that the issue of transnationalism itself. At bottom is an inquiry into a geographical question, right? Mm-hmm. That is, how do physical, uh, physically discontinuous groups of people, right? Um, people who are separated by space, um, in this case separated by an, an Atlantic Ocean, uh, connect or try to connect and relate to one another uh, across that space, right? That's, that's really the, one of the key questions driving uh, this this inquiry um, into transnationalism. Um, and that's what the book is trying to get after.
0: Mm. I love this idea of connections. Um, and and, and I, I'm really intrigued by the image with which you began when you talked about being a, a visual thinker and therefore, sort of visualizing and imagining dots moving across the map—it's—it's—it's um, it's, it's such an evocative image. And, and you also talk about reconfiguring, right? I think you do—you do that in multiple ways in this text. Because in addition to thinking about that in in, in spatial terms, um, I, I think that you're you're also reimagining generic boundaries and borders as well. And so that there are multiple crossings that are happening in your work, right? So, in addition to the geographic crossings that you tease out in your. National approach, you also work across different genres. You look at letters, poetry, novels. Um, how do these generic crossings allow us to think differently about the works of these authors and their contributions? Because a lot of these authors are really quite well-known, and, and so I think that there there's certain kinds of ways that we think about their work or their oeuvre, um, but how, how does working across these different genres allow us to rethink what these authors are doing in their writings?
1: Yeah. No, that's a um, a really great question. So, you know, I mean, it really was important for me to show that sort of um, that transatlantic movement of writers. Um, um, the ways that Wright left the United States, uh, Peter Abrahams left South Africa, and both would meet in England and France, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was equally important for me to chart um, um, the movement of. Letters of people who didn't have the same mobility, um, which was why I wanted to examine, um, in particular, the letters between Bessie Head. Uh, Bessie Head, a, a South African exile um, who was based in Botswana, uh, and African-American women writers, um, um, Alice Walker, Nikki Giovanni, Toni Morrison, um, and Michelle Cliff, and... Um, and and i mean um, african american and broadly uh, in a broad way so mm-hmm. also in some caribbean writing mm-hmm. um, um, that's for for michelle cliff um, who ended up of course spending uh, a, a good uh, a good deal of her life in the united states mm-hmm. um, but what came, what came clear to me um, across all of these interactions was not um, was not only how writers shared their work and um, um, and the work of others by mail, they would they would sort of pass along um, uh, magazines and books and um, clippings that uh, that they came across. Um, um, but that but that those different kinds of writings would make um, uh, would make profound impacts, right? So so Bessie Head, for instance, would um, send her novels but it was uh it was also her extraordinary and elaborate letters uh, many of which read like essays of literary and cultural criticism mm. um that were gratefully received uh in other words you know headwood um would would um would get a copy of um you know Nikki Giovanni's poetry and write her back a treatise <laughs> on uh on um, on, on the poetry itself, um, and, uh, and sort of weave in elements of, of head zone life, um, to, to show their connection as well as, uh, you know, the sort of, uh, the sort of meeting points, uh, 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 emotional and literary meeting points. Um, that's also the case, um, um, with, uh, it's also the case that, that with Alice Walker, she would share multiple genres of her work, right so she would send her poetry as well as her fiction uh in her case, she even came to share a drawing of a garden of flowers that was named bessie Alice and howard and howard's the, the name of uh, bessie head's son mm-hmm. so the, the really all kinds of uh, all kinds of of writing and forms of expression um uh, landed in each other's laps, um, so it occurred to me that 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 all of these circulating texts would have an impact on the recipient, uh, especially those unpublished letters. Uh, but that you know they were no less valuable, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's there's there really is a need to evaluate some published work according to the genre that it's written in, mm-hmm. um, uh, the form that it takes um, for. Uh, you know it, it, that creates the conditions for the for the meaning of the content. It's part of the content, if you will. Um, there's there's room for that kind of evaluation, and we see that in it most explicitly uh, in in the poetry of, of, of Langston Hughes, uh, which I start out with um, in the book. Uh, also, the 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 uh, poetry of, of, of Brooks and Kossuthi. All of them. Um, Thread together different geographic spaces. They literally connect South African and African American cities um, across across their poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but they also put great pressure on line breaks. For example, and and someone like Kucitile, um sets up um, some remarkable chains of pro- prepositional um, prepositional phrases, which are really um, um, questions of relation itself, mm. right? Um, um, that, after all, this is what the prepositional phrase is doing. Right. Um, and so so the, the book explores this in some detail, but it's, uh, I feel like it's also really important to step back and appreciate the kind of multi-generic consumption mm-hmm. that the writers themselves were engaged in,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right, uh, as they were sharing different types of work. Uh, and on top of that, I'm interested in making sure that we recognize that, that the published material that the readers encountered um, um, is not only um, literary or literarily, it, it, I'm sorry, it's not the only literary or, or literarily influential matter that gets exchanged between writers. Mm-hmm. That, um, that in some ways, that sort of finished work um, is only a small... Um, is a small portion of the spectrum, um, that can be influential on, on the receiving author. Right. Um, so in some ways it, 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 might have us rethink what we talk about when we talk about primary texts, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, that, that there are, that there are other, that there are other kinds of works that the, um, that the, uh, receiving writer is is um, is encountering and moved by and connected through,
0: right. Well, I'm so glad you brought up the the image um, of of Alice Walker's flower garden. Um, it's such a fascinating drawing in the yes. book, um, and and you also talk about this sort of um, multi multi generic um, consumption. But I think there's also this idea of Sort of inscription and, and self production that's happening in these different genres that are being circulated, um, and so you you begin or, or sort of early on in the book you have this hand drawn map um, of Cape Peninsula by by Richard Reeve that traces a particular geography in his correspondence with Langston Hughes, and then later on you have this letter from Alice Walker to Bessie Head, and you have this really interesting flower garden image, um, and kind of between these two these two. Hand drawn, I want to say objects, artifacts, images. You, you, you kind of examine, right, these multiple acts of self-production by writers who are inscribing themselves into a space or they're interpreting or reinterpreting that space through their hand drawn maps. So how would you describe the alternative geographies, if you will, that are produced in these maps? And how are these alternative geographies Imagined differently or on different terms across the Atlantic, because very early on you talked about, you know, your interest in in this comparative work that you're doing, um, in in looking at the echoes and tensions. And so, when when these writers are imagining these alternative geographies in their correspondence with one another, how are they doing so in ways that that find echoes um, in the other's work, but also in ways that are are on on very different terms.
1: That's great. That's great. So, um, yeah, I really appreciate your attention to the visual documents and um, the, the, those forms of representations. Um, you're right; they're sort of um, they're sort of incredible visual texts. Um, and I think of I think of them mostly as as maps, not not mm. just sort of literally so. Um, uh, or it, it may have us rethink what we mean, you know, or sort of dig deeper when we when we think about. Maps and and what their function is.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so so these really are, are part of that uh, influential material that gets passed around or uh, gets you know uh, passed um, uh, over the Atlantic, right? So the the Richard Reeves map of the Cape Peninsula that you're talking about and and, and Walker's drawing the three flowers on the ground soaking up the sun uh, were were really aha moments for me. Mm. Um, they uh, these are moments in which you know I I found sort of very uh, explicitly uh, the 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 ways in which writers are are processing and expressing themselves uh, in spatial terms. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Reeve uh, had sent his uh, his his literally hand hand drawn map to. Um, uh, to uh, Langston Hughes um, by way of introduction. It was um, oh. really a, a reminder of, of how we all kind of draw maps, metaphorically speaking, mm-hmm. when we get to know someone, um, especially especially someone we want to impress, which mm-hmm. was the case, which was the case with Reeve and, and Hughes. Um, it's most obviously, as you say, a form of, of self self representation and self fashioning. But I was. I was immediately struck by how profoundly spatial that form of self-representation was. Mm-hmm. Um, he introduced himself um, by drawing visual and textual maps of his environment, right? And in Reeves' case, it's, it spoke to how deeply his consciousness was marked by the geography of a racialized Cape Town. Mm-hmm. Like that, that would be his form of introduction, right? Right. For, for for Walker, she expresses herself. Uh, so so I'm going to use your, your your terminology. So the way in which he interpreted his world and mm-hmm. sort of channeled that over to um, to Hughes. For Walker, it was much more of a kind of a, a reinterpretation. Um, um, uh, that is, uh, she's expressing herself also in a spatialized way, but her drawing of the three. Uh, flowers sharing the same flower bed is, is really a kind of a, an imaginary map that's meant to express, um, they prevailing over the physical space that divides them. Mm-hmm. Um, um, head being in a village, um, in Botswana and, and Walker being in New York without at that point having ever met. Um, so it's an expression of emotional proximity and, um, and a, a, a literal and also metaphorical shared ground that that nurtures them, right? Mm-hmm. So she's, it's 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 an expression of 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 uh, of what she feels and what she hopes will continue to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now um, there are there are other visuals um, um, that that make similar gestures of belonging, which is what I what which is what I, how I characterize. Um, uh, uh, Walker's drawing. Um, um, uh, Notably, I'll just point out one, um, uh, Gil Scott Heron and Brian Jackson's um, album cover um, for their 1976 album uh, from South Africa to South Carolina. Um, And that that has a gorilla figure holding one hand on the map of of South Carolina's sort of quasi-triangular Piece of a map, uh, and on the other hand, uh, a, a, also a somewhat triangular piece of uh, of, of a map of, of Southern Africa, and it's a power visual. It, it's it's a powerful kind of visual accompaniment um, to their famous song Johannesburg, um, mm-hmm. that helped really bring the anti-apartheid struggle uh, to to uh, in the forefront of America's uh, popular imagination. Now, now uh, those are those are visual texts, um, but I also mean to point to the ways in which um, uh, the ways that, that that language, like a visual text, can help orient readers um, um, and uh, act in map-like ways. So you get you get descriptions, right, or you get, as you say, reinterpretations of of, of of um, the physical scenery um, and of the and of the social space that they you know that writers describe mm-hmm. um, and and it's really powerful. So um, you know one one example that I point to uh, at the beginning of the book is the ways in which that you know the tensions really also emerge. Um, this is this is not always a story of connection; it's also a story of disconnection. And, and, mm-hmm. and Lewis, Lewis and Kossi in an essay. Um, uh, describes his first visit to Harlem Um, uh, Louis Nkosi a South African exile who who ended up in the United States and one of the first places he wanted to come to was Harlem because he had encountered that geography, that literary geography in in essays uh, and in the novels of James Baldwin Um, and he had in his head imagined that these were that these were um, that Harlem very much resembled um, the townships of South Africa, and when he when he arrived in Harlem, uh, he um, he found himself deeply disappointed mm-hmm. um, because it, it, the the uh, the literary map that he had read mm-hmm. um, and placed on top of. Uh, or actually, he had placed the um, the uh, South African townships onto uh, the literary map uh, of baldwin 's harlem didn 't actually meet his sense of expectation. Um, he felt uh, a deep sense of disconnection between those those two spaces mm-hmm. and and that encounter um, was important um, uh, to register not uh, not not just because it's a point of disconnection, but because it shows again how powerful these maps are
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, on the imagination, yes, um, uh, and the ways that it orients readers um, who encounter these imaginary maps,
0: mm-hmm. right. So, Harlem, South Carolina, New York, Seroy, Joburg, Cape Town. I think you've given listeners a really great glimpse into just sort of the, <laughs> the expansive geography um, that, that you that you chart in the book. I'm really curious if you could talk a little bit about your experience conducting archival research for this book, given the expanse of this geography.
1: Yeah, no, so, um, so there were a number of, of archives that I found myself going to, and I'll, um, uh, uh, I, should, I should just kind of list a few of them. Um, I, I found a few archives in the United States. Okay. Uh, the Beinecke Library at, at Yale University um, uh, was the first place that I went to, um, and it, it uh, holds um, uh, the papers of Hughes, some of Peter Abrahams and and of and of Richard Wright. Um, I also went to um, the Spelman College archives um, to do some uh, do some work um, uh, on Audre Lorde. Mm-hmm. Um, Emory University's um, uh, library, it's the Manuscripts, Archives, and Rare Books Library, um, uh, holds the the papers of Alice Walker. Okay, um, and then um, in South Africa, I went to the National English Literary Museum, um, based in in Grahamstown, South Africa, and that's where I um, uh, found some some work by and on uh, Richard Reeve and, and, and Willie Cusset And then finally, um, uh, I uh, went to Soroe Botswana, uh, to the Kama Three Memorial Museum. Mm-hmm. um that houses all of Bessie Head's um letters uh okay. and and her exchanges um um quite a rich uh uh quite a rich documentation um both of the the, the letters that Head sent but also the letters that she received mm-hmm. um and um uh it's it's quite a collection so um we were, each of these each of these places really for me were, were filled with moments of, of, of of revelation and surprise. Um, and what they, what they frequently did is, you know, as I encountered particular documents, as I encountered letters in particular, um, they made me rethink, um, some of the assumptions that I was going into the archives with. They Mm -hmm. made me, they made me pause and, um, and, and uh, make sure that I was not too um, uh, uh, too simply characterizing a particular kind of of, of, of relationship. Um, so, and and so so it, it was sort of my encounter with with the letters um, that um, that made me reshape parts of my parts of my argument. I, mm. Um, uh, for example, in the, um, relationship between, uh, Wright and, um, and, and Peter Abrahams, um, I found, um, um, moments of, of, of really sort of profound connection and elation, um, um, but also sort of moments of distancing, um, and, um, the letters would drop off, um. Uh, and I had to read what those, what those, what that dropping off meant, mm-hmm. um, and and then that that allowed me that allowed me to um, to then go back to their autobiographical writings after the fact, uh, uh, where they would where they would reference each other. Um, so there was a kind of a piecing together of the. Uh, again, the published work as well as the uh, as well as the unpublished work to think about how you know um, you know we were talking about um, connections and tensions mm-hmm. um, how um, how some of these connections were 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 remarkable and profound and and, and, and quite deep um, both on a personal level as well as on a literary level. Mm-hmm. Um, but they would sometimes be time bound. Uh, in other words that they would, they would last for a particular period and then, um, uh, drift would happen or, um, distancing, uh, separation, uh, difference of opinion would happen mm-hmm. and then, and, and then they would part company. Right. So, um, so it's in those kinds of, uh, sort of reading behind, um, the published work that allowed me to see that.
0: hmm So in this reading behind and and this piecing together, just out of curiosity, which relationship or exchange between two writers did you find most interesting or surprising? Yeah, Um,
1: you know, I have to say that probably Bessie Head's exchanges um, were the most um, were the most interesting um, um, and and surprising. in, in, in similar ways, although, um, sort of much more explicitly, um, uh, uh, had really spent, um, uh, sort of poured herself out into her letters. Mm-hmm. And, and she, she clearly understood, um, that, that, um, that she was responding as a writer to a writer,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and was, was sort of extraordinarily, um, um, uh, impressive in in what she had to say. Um, these were not just um, quick notes, like I uh, like I suggested earlier. They really were sort of powerful um, um, interpretations and digests and um, um, uh, and really overviews of of, of, of of literature that that Head herself was reading um, um, and. Um, uh, but she, she was also incredibly effusive, uh, at the beginning of her, uh, at the beginning of her exchanges with, uh with most of, uh, with most of the African-American women writers. Um, the exception would be with, with Morrison and, and she reached out to Morrison, uh, as an editor, uh, who was, who was at the time still working at Random House, hmm. um, 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 at the time Morrison I think had had published one uh, uh, only uh, no two novels um, uh, two novels but she was still working as an editor and so head was reaching out to get her her to see if she could get her publish her work published in the United States break into that market um, but for the other three, these were moments of 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 um, uh, really rich um, psychic and emotional, um, uh, connection that I think head was, was, was seeking out and looking for, um, in, in two of those instances, um, the intensity of the, uh, the intensity of the ways in which the letters, um, began the exchanges began, um, were met with a, a kind of equally intense ending wow. um, of, of the letters, right? Um, and so um, um, that that also led me to really dwell a bit on on, on what we mean by transatlantic relation,
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: and to what extent we want to uh, to what story we are trying to tell uh, about transatlantic connections. Mm-hmm um and what what made it clear to me was uh what these letters made clear to me uh along with the their writing um was uh, the ways in which um the ways that that um that attempts at connection and Moments of disconnection were equally a part of the narrative,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, as are the moments of connection and um, and um, uh, full on engagement, mm-hmm. if you will. Okay. Those sort of uh, either those missed opportunities or those breaks, or I I I wouldn't call them moments of failure, but um, but 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 moments of parting ways. Um, is um, is part of the story of of, of black transnationalism.
2: Mm, I see, um,
1: and that we have to we have to account for that. The the language that I use because what was also striking in these letters is that um, is that they were uh, uh, most of these uh, uh, Bessie Head, um, uh, Alice Walker, and Michelle Cliff were each talking about their gardens. Um, uh, in really really striking ways in the letters themselves but also in the in their uh, uh, in their published material oh. uh, in their published text mm-hmm. and so the language I used was was um, really had to do with cultivation
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and um, uh, and I used that as the language to talk about you know uh, the attempt to cultivate gardens the attempt to cultivate community Um uh, and here we can refer back to that that image that that the really lovely image that that walker uh drew for for bessie head that the tip to cultivate a garden uh is filled with labor uh and sometimes flowers spring up and sometimes they don't right mm-hmm. um so that 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 is part of the narrative as well.
0: That's really interesting. So I'm, I'm always interested, um, in thinking about also the the sort of contemporary echoes of, of these conversations today, right? And, and, and think about academic texts in general and how they help us to understand sort of events and conversations both within and beyond the academy. And so I, I want to ask you a little bit about the roads must fall movement in the recent past, right, which ignited this public conversation, but also highlighted another transnational circulation of ideas. This time with echoes between South Africa and the United Kingdom. How do you think grounds of engagement gives us the tools to think through the ongoing circulation of ideas that contest histories of domination and tyranny?
1: No, that's a that's a um, that's an important question, and of course, uh, while well, my book ends with the end of apartheid mm-hmm. these these, <laughs> these kinds of connections don't abide by uh, neat historical periods yes. so um, so you're right to point to the sort of contemporary echoes. you know one of the aspects of that the Rosemont's Fall movement has um, highlighted is the unfinished business of the of the post-colonial era mm-hmm. and of the uh, of the post-apartheid era. The fact that um, the university and South African society at large has not really fully decolonized. Um, and so this uh, is an attempt on the part of, uh, of students uh, to force that issue. So Rosen's Fall, just um, um, for, for anyone who, who's unfamiliar with the movement, really um, uh, emerged out of an attempt to... Uh, Contest the placement, Um, you know, uh, speaking of space, Mm -hmm. um, how centrally placed Cecil Rhodes, the benefactor to the uh, University of Cape Town, there was a statue uh, in his honor placed uh, centrally on the grounds, uh, the upper campus of of, uh, uh, UCT, University of Cape Town. And the need then that the students rallied around the uh, attempt to remove this statue as a way of changing the setup, um, the messages, and even, of course, the curriculum of the South African University. This became a sort of a rallying point. um, And so Rhodes... The Rhodes statue eventually fell, and of course, as you point out, in, in the United Kingdom, there were um, there were attempts to contest uh, Cecil Rhodes um, again, uh, both a British uh, and a South African uh, magnet, mm-hmm. um, a diamond magnet, who would be you know honored at among other places Oxford mm-hmm. uh, University, and that students in the UK would then be would then be contesting. His stature and his sort of uh, commemoration. There's also an echo here around um, uh, that w- we might want to um, sort of draw with the uh, with the attempt to remove Confederate statues in yes. the American South, right? Yes. Um, and not just the American South, um, but predominantly so. I- I'm also reminded in these sort of interconnecting struggles. Uh, of the ways that Black Lives Matter, for example, in the United States, found the mm-hmm. strong base um, in, in universities. Mm-hmm. And frankly, you know, thinking about the question of geography at the heart of my book, uh, it's also important to look at the scale and the site of the university uh, in South Africa, in the United States, in the UK, as well as other places around the globe, as a space where many transformative and radical movements have emerged. In other words, we can we can sort of look at spaces as universities um, in and of themselves, sort of situated in a in a particular country in a particular region, mm-hmm. but also uh, attempts to link up to uh, other university spaces, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's not to say that, that universities haven't been the site of extraordinary conservatism to be sure they have, um, but it, it, it remains a key site of contestation from which um, uh, so many calls for social justice movements are issued. Um, so the Rose must fall movement um, you know also mobilized into a fees must fall movement uh, in South Africa where students demanded that um, that parts of the uh, social restructuring, must involve changing who the universities as engines of social mobility uh, should serve and how they should serve, mm-hmm. right? And this dovetail really dovetails with, with questions of a neoliberal economy um, that reproduces so many of the racial inequalities of the past via economic channels. Uh, so students are you know pushing back against a great deal of historically entrenched um, structural inequalities there. So it's it's interesting to think about these movements, um, and and frequently are very much sort of in conversation. Uh, that's not to say that there weren't uh, there there wouldn't be tensions between uh, a Rhodes must fall" movement in South Africa and um, and a Rhodes must fall" movement uh, at Oxford University. Mm-hmm. Um, that, 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 that there are global inequalities to contend with as well, right? Mm. Um, and access to particular. uh, Resources um, that differentiate the students, right? Um, So there's solidarity, but there's also again the question of tension um, that that can emerge. You know, uh, um, on on this subject uh, 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 or relatedly, a a year or two ago, I I remember students from South Africa involved in the in the fees must fees must fall movement. Uh, They were students from the University of the Free State who had been protesting skyped in with students at, at my university. Um, mm. and it was a fascinating discussion, you know, both for the similarities and the racist experiences that they discussed, mm-hmm. but also for the, for the gaps that they revealed, mm. you know, for, so for one thing at the time, uh, tuition free, uh, university education was really off the table, uh, in the United States. Right. Um, and I think it was, uh, I think it will remain that, uh, quite a challenge. Um, You know, precisely for for how uh, radically democratizing free university education would be. Yes. Um, Again, because uh, it's a tool of social mobility. Um, And so, you know, how radically destabilizing um, universally uh, universal free education would be to the social hierarchies of race and class in the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I, I think. Um, students in South Africa and the United States share uh, certain aspects in common, um, but they're also sort of facing different kinds of, kind of local settings as well.
0: I think your work makes such a such an important contribution to these ongoing conversations, right, by, by tracing some of the... Um, the, the, the conversations, the echoes and tensions that have come before and that we're seeing playing out in, in spatial terms again, but also in different ways um, in, in these different sites that you that you talk about. So kind of on this note of ongoing conversations, can you tell us just a little bit about what you're working on now?
1: Mm. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, I, I'm at work on another book, uh, on another book project. Um, and it it revisits South Africa and the United States during the same period. I'm looking mm-hmm. at the apartheid era. Um but in a in a fairly different way. Um I'm um really interested in exploring the ways that um um in an era of censorship under apartheid um books and these are uh, especially books written by African American writers um that um that had become banned by the South African authorities, nevertheless entered into South Africa and sort of clandestinely circulated around the country oh. to find an avid readership. Um, and um, uh, so this is this is a project that keeps an eye on geography. Okay. Um, you know, after all, I'm uh, I'm interested in points of entry. I'm interested in routes, channels. Um, as well as, as points of dissemination. Again, this is my, um, this is my eye imagining moving dots along uh, a along map, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also keeping another eye on the role of, of formal institutions. Um, so what particularly interests me is how um, institutions that operated legally, um, and here I'm looking at, at three different kinds, at least from the outset. Uh, I'm interested in libraries. I'm interested in bookstores and in uh, small presses. Okay. Um, how these legally operating institutions um, operated um, uh, at times behind closed doors to make banned books available, right? Uh, so this would involve uh, uh, keeping some books in the back room or literally under the counter, or hawking books sort of itinerantly on the streets. Um, uh, And all of this, uh, of course, opens up questions of space and the interplay between visibility and invisibility. Um, But it also involves a great deal of history, Um, um, sort of fine-tuned individual institutional history, and interviews with the, with the key, um, uh, with the key individuals, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the bookstore owners, the librarians, um, uh, people, um, who, uh, worked in and for presses, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, 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 uh, it's really a plunge into literary history once more, Mm -hmm. but in, in a different, uh, in a different vein, but I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I'm at the beginning, but I'm thoroughly enjoying it.
0: Oh, wow. That sounds amazing. Well, I I look forward to keeping up with this project as it unfolds. Um, Thank you. On behalf of our listeners and myself, I want to thank you, Stefan, for joining us today to talk about the fascinating exchanges that you uncover in your book, Grounds of Engagement, Apartheid-Era African-American and South African Writing. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Annette. It was a great pleasure.